0: My name is David Wing, and I've had the honor of pastoring the Dover Foursquare Church for almost 25 years. We have targeted our gatherings to minister to the Lord, the saints, and the world. First, through singing, praise, and receiving the word, we pursue ministering to Him. Second, we pursue interactive involvement with each person present. Fellowship before and after the service helps, but each believer must be personally involved if he is to become equipped to fulfill his role as an agent of Jesus in life's marketplace. We want to be a congregation that gives place to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want to be a congregation committed to the systematic and edifying teaching of God's Word. We want to be a congregation devoted to the exercise of Holy Spirit inspired worship. It is our prayer that the message you hear today will assist you in realizing the possibilities God has. For you, and that your journey with Him will be one of abundance.
1: Pastor asked us to uh, begin tonight and in weeks to come to share about the Four Square Gospel. And uh, you'll see on the front of the paper there. There's a logo, and uh, that is the Four Square logo. And it's the term Foursquare square gospel" is a biblical term that was born out of a revelation that Amy Sample McPherson, uh, the founder of this, org- of this organization, she received this revelation in July of 1922. Was anybody there at that point? <laughs> this is a long time ago, but you, and I don't think we realize—we can't spend too much time on this—but I don't think we realize what it was like back then to have a revelation like what she had. It wasn't something, it wasn't a concept that many Christians really took to, uh, favorably to. Um, it was a revelation that she had. And there's something important about revelation. A revelation is a key which opens up a new window of perspective into the person of Jesus Christ and his work in and through the church. You know, back in the days of the Reformation, how many remember studying about the Dark Ages? There's a lot just to be said about that. That, Studying that time period, it was a frightening time to be alive. And the religion at that point was more of a means of gain than it was actually knowing the person of Jesus Christ. It really was a dark age. But all of a sudden, people began to get a revelation you had Martin Luther with seeing Jesus as uh, as the one who saves us. We're saved by grace, by faith. And that was a revelation that opened up something that began to change the entire uh, world uh, in that area. And in the same way, the revelation that Amy Semple McPherson had, this was a window of perspective into the person of Christ that changed things in this country. The The idea. We'll look at what these these mean, but let me explain to you what I mean by revelation being a key. Whenever Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They said, well, some say you're this person, some say you're that person. Everybody had an opinion about who Jesus was. Then he looked right at them and he said, who do you say that I am? Well, Peter, he said, I know, Lord. (laughs) He raised his hand. He goes, Lord, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. The moment he said that, Jesus said, you've received a revelation. And that revelation, he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. And then he said something to Peter. We don't want to get a Catholic on you here tonight. (laughs) Because this key and this rock is something for each and every one of us, not just Peter. Is that right? Okay. Well, it says, Jesus said to Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. I think when he said rock, he was pointing to himself, to be honest. <laughs> and he said unto Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Revelation that comes from the Father opens up keys in our lives. And that's what happened, basically, in 1922. That revelation came, and there was so much that was happening there. This is the four-square logo. And... Uh, Call it the Four-square gospel. The phrase there is the good news of Jesus, a Christ-centered emphasis with a many-faceted doctrine. And the thing about revelation is this: you have the, the, uh, the, four, the four parts of the emblem: Jesus the Savior, that's the cross. Now, I'm, not, I'm going to go real fast over this, and maybe you can do your own research and get some of the points later on. I don't have time to write it all now. But but this, you have the cross, you have the dove, you have the cup, and you have the crown. Each one of those was a revelation of Christ. And I want to point, of course, uh, the, the Savior, there was, a, there was an evan- evangelical movement in, in this country, and it was an awesome thing, but it was only in the 1900s that the baptism in the Holy Spirit began to be poured out. A lot of Christians, a lot of Pentecostal Christians don't realize that it hasn't been around all this time. During the dark ages, there was no movement like that at all. And it wasn't until the early 1900s, late 1800s and early 1900s that people began to get baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And boy, the people that experienced that were called weird and if I'm not mistaken, I think people that belonged to this church back in 1927 when it started, they were called weird. We're not so weird anymore because it's, people understand it's more widespread. But back in those days, it was strange. Speaking in tongues, shouting, raising your, making noise in church. That's weird. But you see, that revelation opened up something that was awesome. And that wasn't the only thing she saw. She saw so much more. Let me just give you an illustration here. Think of these as different revelations of Christ that we receive, and each one of them. And each revelation we receive of Christ, and we're not just talking about head knowledge, not just all of a sudden, okay, yeah, I accept that truth up here. That doesn't work. Not every thing we know up here is something that's revelation that comes down here. The moment you got saved, uh, how many of you knew about Jesus before you got saved? Okay, it was up here. I knew about it. We used to call it an 18-inch or a 12-inch conversion from head all the way down here. But when Jesus as Savior became a revelation, that's when we got saved. How many understand that? You see, So we're not just talking about, well, I'm going to learn all these facts and get it all up here. It doesn't work like that. It needs to come by revelation. And each revelation that we receive, opens up a window. Now, what are you starting to see there? You seeing a tree? Okay, watch. It's a nice tree out in the field. That's what we think we're looking at, right? But the more windows that open up, the more revelation into the character of Christ that we receive, pretty soon we begin to see, hey, that's just a picture on a wall. That's not really a window at all. And that tree Oh, guess what? It's a little bonsai tree. It's not what we thought it was either. And that's the way revelation is in our life. It opens up more of Christ to us. And, and, and denominations that had a revelation and started with a revelation, but stayed with that one revelation, they're, they're operating in a limited understanding. They're limiting what God can do in their life and limiting what God wants to do through their life very important. See, one of the things that happens when we get a window perspective opened up for us is that we can better realize where we stand and we can better understand who we're looking at. Who we're looking at. I like to say well, we realize first of all our relationship between where we are and Who we can now see. That would be the answers for those blanks on that front page there. Each revelation removes a hindrance from over our lives, allowing Jesus Christ to continue his perfect work both in and through us individually and as his church. All right, now I want to take you to another little PowerPoint here that and what we 're going to talk about tonight is that first part of the logo uh, on your papers on the front side, you see the first one the red cross that 's Jesus our Savior and there 's so much just in that revelation by itself and what I would like to do, and I know there's a lot of teaching we could give just on how Jesus could be our Savior. What, he was God that came down to earth. He was the perfect man, the perfect sacrifice. All of that we can focus on. We could talk on that. But what came in my heart when Pastor asked me to share on this uh, uh, tonight was help us to understand how great this salvation really is how great this salvation really is. And to get a picture of that, just like we saw with that little bonsai tree, to understand properly what we're looking at, we need to step back a little bit and understand that God had an eternal purpose before the world even began. He had a plan. Salvation needs to fit into his plan, not our plan. And I want to, first of all, focus on this one concept because... What we're talking about is there's something God wants to take us from one place to another. The question is, how do we do that? When someone is lost, there's a few important questions that you need to ask them. My daughter likes to call me and say, Dad, I don't know where I'm at. (laughs) The first question that I would ask her, I don't know about you, but the first question I would ask, well, where do you want to go, first of all? The second question I need to know is, Where are you right now? Isn't that right? You can't give directions to somebody if you don't know where they want to go. And you can't tell them how to get there if you don't know where they're at. So I'll say like, you know, Abigail, or, you know, now, what do you see? Oh, I see a cat next to a tree. No, that's not going to help. (laughs) What do you see? What's the name of the street? I can't see any street names. And, you know, we go on and on. It's difficult sometimes to give instructions. But there's two things we need to understand. We need to know where they want to go. And we need to know where we are right now. Understanding those two things will help us understand the third thing. Do we have enough to get there? How long is this journey? You know, Jesus talked about uh, how the kingdom of God is like a... Like a king who was going to go out to battle. He only had limited resources. And who he was going to fight against had many more resources than him. So Jesus said, it's like a king that's going to battle. He needs to sit down and count the cost. Or if a man's going to build a house, he needs to sit down and count the cost. Lest if he start building it, he only get a certain height and realize he doesn't have enough to finish it. So counting the cost... But one of the things I think we're going to understand, I think this is really the heart of what Jesus was trying to say there. He wasn't trying to say, well, I, know, I, I guess he was saying each of us have to count the cost. But when we count the cost, what's always going to be the answer that we come up with? Does any of us have enough to make this journey? Anybody here? No. Counting the cost is not to realize whether we can do it ourselves. It's to realize we can't. hope I'm keeping to my outline here. It's a little tricky sometimes. But when we count the cost of the journey, we'll always come up short. Let's look at this journey first of all. And then we can understand really what salvation is supposed to be accomplishing in our lives. We're talking about an eternal purpose of God. This eternal purpose of God. From everlasting to everlasting, God has always existed. And one of the problems we have, I think, in the gospel that's been preached, that's so well known, and and, and it's the gospel of Asking Jesus into your heart to forgive your sins. And once you got it, you got everything. It's all, that's all you need, you see. The problem with that gospel is it only really satisfies our need. Our need to be forgiven. Our need to be get rid of that guilt that's upon us. And it's a wonderful thing. I mean, a thief on a cross when Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. How many know there was a burden that went off that man's heart? <laughs> that's an awesome thing to know that in that moment... He could believe and experience a gift of salvation, a gift of eternal life. But the problem is, is that what salvation has to do is not satisfy... Well, let's, I want to introduce you to two trees here. You all know which tree that is, right? In the garden there were two trees. I just got to put them there. And I, I found this guy. I thought he was good for the tree of life. Huh? What do you think? Okay. All right, so there are two trees in the garden. And when we're going to start understanding salvation, we need to go back even before those two trees and understand what God really wanted. We'll do that a little bit later on. But what the, pro- the problem that took place is that uh, there's Adam and Eve in the garden. There's Adam. I don't know necessarily that he actually helped Eve like that, but <laughs> he should have stopped her anyway, right? Well, when they ate from that tree, they sinned. And the Bible says, for all have sinned. Let's read that verse together. Can we do that? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And notice that expression, come short. We'll look at that in just a minute. We talked about counting the cost. Do we have enough? No, we don't. We come short. This is called what happened with man, what happened to Adam and Eve is called the fall of man. When he fell out of God's purpose, man fell. Out of God's purpose because of sin. But the real big question is how far did he fall? Did he just like trip over something and scuff his knee? How far did Adam fall? Well, this expression, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let me show you what that really means. In Spanish, it's kind of neat. In Spanish, it says, Por, cuantos, por, uh, por cuanto todos han pecado y están destituidos de la gloria de Dios. Destituidos. That's the word destitute destitute of the glory of God. It's more than just falling short, like you were, you were really aiming the arrow, and you, were, you, know, you had it, and it was just about there, but instead of the bullseye, you got just a little bit off. That's what come short sounds like a little bit, but it's a lot more than that. That expression in the Greek, the language of the New Testament, one of the definitions of come short is fall short. Come short, fall short. That's where we get the fall of man from. Impoverished. It also means to be totally impoverished, devoid of. In other words, just no, not even a flicker of the glory of God was left in man. Destitute. That's how it's translated into the Spanish. So for all, and, and notice, that, notice that word all. That's not just some people. That's everyone. Every single one of us. We are all the offspring of Adam and Eve. Let me just show you a few verses. Psalmist, he understood this. He said, Lord, I'm going to praise you with all my heart. I'm going to glorify your name forevermore, for great is your mercy toward me, for thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Now, does any of you think you're bad enough to actually end up in the lowest hell? Or you're kind of, we're kind of good, right? (laughs) We've always been kind of, we try to do our best, we try to do what's right. But the psalmist understood, no, God, I'm worthy of the lowest hell. Paul made this statement. He said, God's grace was abundant. He said, here's a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Well, that's Paul. Of course, he was a pretty bad character, wasn't he? <laughs> Let's go on and see. And Isaiah, notice the word all in this verse, for all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. I won't even try to explain to you what that really means in the Hebrew. It's, not, it's more than just something with a little bit of dirt on it. It's something that's absolutely polluted. A filthy garment. Even all the righteous things we've tried to do. Any righteous thing a man tries to do, it says it's filthy garments. Uh, Jeremiah said, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. How many of you had one of those hearts before you came to Jesus? Yeah? Desperately sick, deceitful. In fact, we're still dealing with things in the heart. Some people come to church and they say, well, I don't understand. People in church are supposed to be nice and people in church are supposed to be like this. No, man, we got that. God has to keep on working with us yet, doesn't he? There's still a lot of stuff he's got to deal with in our lives. Romans 3 As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. You know, when I hear someone sharing a testimony, they say, well, you know, all my life I've known the Lord. Something up here flashes. I think they don't know what they're saying. The Bible doesn't say that, does it? Does the Bible say that there are some people that have always been seeking after God? That some people seek after God, but a lot of other people don't? Is that what it says? Doesn't that include everyone? No one seeks God. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's pretty inclusive, isn't it? And he goes on to explain why that's important for us to understand. Uh, So that every mouth, this is Romans 3, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may become accountable to God one thing that happens at the cross when we really see what Jesus had to do for us is that we understand we are all brought down to the exact same level we'll look at that in just a minute here Bible says not only are we just bad not only are we just filthy not only are we just you know uh, have a deceitful sick heart but the Bible says you were dead we were literally dead men walking, weren't we? See, when Adam and Eve ate up from that tree up there, God told them, In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Now, when they met up with the devil, the serpent there, the serpent said, Did God say you was going to die? you were not going to die the same day. You're not going to die like that. Well, who was right? Did Adam? Did, when Eve ate from that tree, did she cough three times and fall over dead? Did Adam eat of it and cough a couple times and fall over dead? No. So who was telling the truth? The devil or God? Well, we know who's telling the truth, right? God was. The question is, what died? Their body didn't die that very moment, but something far more important did. And that was the spirit God had breathed into man. Their spirit died. When Pastor uh, Dennis Shearer was here, he was talking about that new life. When we're born again, we receive a a new life. A breath comes inside of us. So we're filthy, there's no one that seeks God, not not one righteous, no, not one, even the righteous things we've tried to do are filthy rags. We're dead. Not only that, it goes on to say we're children of wrath, and not just a few of us, all of us. In fact, in Romans 5, it talks about how we were enemies. In Colossians 1, it says how we were alienated in our minds and hostile against God. Oh, but I always loved God. (laughs) The heart is more deceitful than anything else, isn't it? So the Bible tells us exactly. Now the Bible declares, the Bible declares man, whoops, I'm sorry. the Bible declares man to be totally destitute. The question we've been asking ourselves is, how far have we fallen? Well, the Bible declares man to be completely destitute of anything he created him to be up there in his eternal purpose. But I don't feel like I'm all that bad. You know what our problem is? Here, here's an illustration I like to give to you. Let's suppose, um, suppose Marietta and I, uh, we are from a town way up in the remote parts of Canada. And everyone in that little town, that little village, everyone there, it's, it's an isolated village and no news, nothing. We're just kind of isolated from the rest of society. But everyone in that society, everyone in that little village is missing their left arm. All of them. Now, if all of them are like that, no one's going to feel like they're missing anything, are they? I'll look at Marietta and shake her hand. Right hand. don't right we'll have a left hand. <laughs> and, and, you know, we wake up, and we, we've learned how to do everything with our right hand. We never had a left arm. We're, we're born, and everyone around us looks exactly the same. They are missing the left. So do we realize we're missing something? No. We, we feel very normal until all of a sudden, someone from another place comes into town, and he's got something on, on this side of his body, and it moves. What, what is that thing? Why does he have one? Of, that's weird. He's got something that moves on the left. It looks like an extra arm. That's strange. Wouldn't that be strange to us? Think about that just for a minute. Well, in the same way, We don't feel, men, people you talk to. How many have tried to witness to somebody? And it's like you're telling them them they need something and they don't need it. Like you're convincing them to take Tylenol and they say, I don't have a headache. (laughs) But you need the Tylenol. You've got to take it. Why? I feel good. No, you have to take Tylenol. That's ridiculous. They think we're, we're, someone said that a theologian is someone who's answering questions that nobody's asking. (laughs) Don't you feel like that sometimes? You're telling people they need something they don't realize they need it, and that's some even as us as Christians. Sometimes we end up on this horizontal plane, and and we just we don't feel well, okay. I know I'm saved now; everything's feeling better. Am I? But we don't realize that the Word of God is still true. We need a Savior. Can you say Amen to that? Why don't we feel we're all that bad? Well. In the cross, by looking at the cross, we can understand the severity of our sickness by understanding the cost of the cure. If we weren't really all that bad, there would have been no need for Jesus to die on the cross for us, would there be? See, when you go to a doctor with a little bit of a cough and the doctor says, You know, he comes back after a long time and tells you you have to take about $1,000 of medicine each month for that little cough. All of a sudden, either you realize this doctor is wrong, or that cough is more serious than you thought it was. When we understand the cure that's been provided for us, all of a sudden, a revelation can come to help us to see how sick we actually were. How sick, how far We've fallen from what God has for us. Just because what Jesus provided for us on the cross is free, it would be a big mistake to equate free with cheap. Can you say amen to that? Yeah. The Bible tells us in a little bit dark there, but if the Bible says that. When we, he, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So the the word of God is a mirror for us to see ourselves the way we really are. How many feel a little paranoid when you haven't been around a mirror for a while? Anybody? I know the women probably, right? Is there any woman here that would wake up in the morning and and not look in the mirror? I don't think she wants to look in the mirror too often. (laughs) But if she doesn't look a couple times, she's going to forget what she really is. The word of God is like that. If we allow the Holy Spirit to take these words and show us, we can begin to see things in our life. Even after being saved, there's things that God shows us that's just a lot of garbage. Has anybody noticed anything like that in your life? And you wonder, how did that get there? How did that stuff get there? You know, when we come to Christ, and I'm going to show you about salvation. Salvation is a gift, it's a gift. When we're born again, it's a new life that, that just comes and, and whew, God breathes upon us. There's life there. Amen. But there's still stuff that He wants to change. How many can say amen to that? OK, you done't see a woman there? How many think we need to see that mirror of God's word more often, right? <laughs> Whoa. It's possible to neglect our salvation. That's one of the reasons why we take the Lord's table once a month. And some churches, they do it more often, some less. But part of the purpose of the Lord's table is because God knows how forgetful we are. He said, do this in what? In remembrance of me. Thank God for the Lord's table, for the communion. We take the bread and the cup so we can remember who he is and who we are. How shall we neg- escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So great a salvation, so great a Savior. Paul was talking about the gospel. The gospel is very, very simple. Very simple. He says, "I Now make known unto you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand, by the which also you are saved. For I delivered unto you, As a first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. Christ died on a cross for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again the third day. That's the gospel. Very simple. Romans 10, and the expression I want to give you here is the cross is the great equalizer. At the cross, when we really come to the cross, and I don't mean going into the church and staring at what we have on the wall, I'm talking about seeing Jesus, seeing what he had to do, what God had to provide for us, what he had to do for us to save us. It was desperate measures. God could have just sent us a pill, right? <laughs> he, could have just, uh, he could have just sent us, you know, a list of instructions. If you, some people, a lot of Christians, but listen to this. A lot of Christians think that being a Christian means keeping the Ten Commandments, you see. If you keep the Ten Commandments, you can go to heaven one day. How many know that's not the case? That thief on the cross didn't have any, he didn't have time to keep the Ten Commandments, did he? But he received life that very moment. Oh, what a wonderful salvation. It's a gift. It's In in Romans, it says this. It says the righteousness. In other words, our righteousness is filthy rags. No good thing in us. It's filthiness, filthy rags. And, And Paul says that, but the righteousness which is based on faith, the gift of righteousness we receive when we're born again, when we receive salvation, that righteousness, this is what it says. Don't say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the pit? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, it's not not a matter of how high or how low. It's right here. Christ meets us right where we're at. And when we understand what the scriptures say, we realize we are all in the same situation. I've heard the expression on, on a Titanic. It didn't matter what your status, your social status was, did it? That's that boat was going down and it sunk. It didn't matter how much money you had. It didn't matter how what your social status was. It doesn't matter how intelligent you were. That boat went down and nose on it went down also. In the same way, in our life, the cross is the great equalizer. It brings us to that place of realizing we are all the same. And sometimes in the church, we can forget that. We can start looking at the things that we do and start calculating. We're calculating people, aren't we, sometimes? Well, I've done this much in the church. What about that person over there? How come they're not doing that? And we begin to to, to start making our little ladders of success even in the church because we don't see the cross. We don't understand what we really are. He goes on in Romans 10, but what does that mean? righteousness which is by faith what does it actually say here's what it says it's not up here it's not way down there here's what it says where is it where is that word at in your and in your let's say that again let's read that verse together but what does it say the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith which we are preaching well what is that word of faith let's read this together also here, we, here again, we see mouth and heart mentioned there, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's read on. This, this is the last verse 10. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. That's how we're saved. That's how we experience salvation. But what I want to show you is that it doesn't just end there. Salvation is much more than just that. God demonstrated his own love. Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. He demonstrated his love. Jesus was the fully man, fully God, the perfect man, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Savior. Savior. How many can say, oh, what a wonderful Savior with me? (laughs) Okay, there's so much just to talk and teach about that. But that won't mean much to us. Just like trying to get someone to take Tylenol when they don't have a headache. That Tylenol doesn't mean much to them. But boy, when they get that migraine headache, they're going to wonder what they can take for it, right? Well, understanding what Jesus did for us, we need to understand why we needed it. When... On the day of Pentecost Peter gave the first gospel message after Christ ascended into heaven after he resurrected and ascended to heaven. It says after he finished preaching he didn't go around and ask him to raise their hands and you know everybody close your eyes here and raise your hand if you want to accept Christ as your savior. Nobody peek now. Nobody look. <laughs> he didn't do that. I mean, there's a lot of ways God uses to bring people to the Lord. He didn't have to say anything. He preached the message And the people wanted to know, what did they say? They were pricked in their hearts. And they said to Peter, men and brethren, what shall we do? And if you remember what he had been, if you read that whole chapter, the things he was preaching about was the events that took place, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the fact that they had crucified Jesus. All of a sudden it became real to them. He died in my place. I'm the one who put him there. It wasn't that Roman centurion. It wasn't the religious Jews. I'm the one who nailed him to the cross. What can I do? I'm guilty of nailing him to the cross. He did that for me. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, look at Peter's answer. Now, let me just make one more point here. If salvation only included the forgiveness of sins, like the thief on the cross, he received that right away. That was awesome. But if that's the only thing that salvation included, well, man could stay right there and just be a happy church member the rest of his life. That's where a lot of churches actually are. They experience forgiveness of sins, and they just... Continue singing and celebrating about it. Maybe bring some other people in and say, oh, isn't this wonderful what God has done for us? And it is. That thief on the cross, he's going to be very happy in heaven, isn't he? Knowing that he was able, at the last moment of his life, he was able to receive the gift of life. But the need of man would be graciously met through forgiveness of sins and hope of eternal life. Our, our need would be met. We could, very happy people will be. But would God's need be fulfilled? See, he doesn't just want to forgive our sins and wash us up and let us go our way. He has a plan for our life that was in effect way back before the Garden of Eden. When he created man, he knew what he was doing, did he? he created man on purpose and with purpose. Salvation has much more, and we'll look at that in just a minute here. This salvation should provide a way for us to return back into God's eternal purpose. That should be the purpose of this salvation, so great a salvation. Christ did far more. His death on the cross was part of it, but his burial, his resurrection, all that was provided there wasn't just to make us happy, forgiven sinners, but to take us back into God's eternal purpose. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Yes, God has a plan. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Psalms 3.8. What shall we do, Peter? What do you want us to do? Well, Peter's answer is this here. Let's see. I went too far. Think just for a minute. The the Greek word for salvation. so-so, yes. It's actually the root word. There's solteros, different words, forms of it. But the root word, it's so-so. Let me give you the actual meaning of this word. And I think you'll see for yourself that salvation is more than just having your sins wiped off of you. More than just having your name put in a book of life. Salvation includes a lot more. And when you read through the Bible, for instance, in First Peter, it talks about receiving uh, as the end of your faith, the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There, there's, there's all kinds of things in the word that, that if salvation is just forgiveness. If there's not more, then there's a lot of times in there that talks about salvation. It just doesn't make sense. There's a lot more involved in it. Let's look at the meaning of the word "sotso," the word for salvation, root word. Save, okay. Listen to this. Deliver. Oh, that's along the same lines. He's going to deliver us. Preserve. Oh, there's another meaning to it, isn't it? Not just rescuing us, but he's gonna keep us. Bring safely. The pastor's been talking about the word for prosperity and, or to prosper in the Greek. It means to, to push along the highway, to push forward. How many have heard that message he's been sharing? Yeah. God wants us to prosper. Salvation is part of that plan of prosperity, to push us along safely. How about this? Heal. Not only physical healing, but that's included in it. By his stripes we are healed. But healing for our entire being. Restore. Not just clean us up. He wants to bring us back. Like the prodigal son, the father didn't just say, okay, yeah, you can be one of my servants in the house now. He said, come on, let me put a ring on your finger. Let's, let's have a party. We got more things. Let's, let's get back into sonship again. Oh, I like this one. This is a, more of a King James expression, but made perfectly whole. Perfectly whole. Now, does anybody here feel like they're perfectly whole yet, or there's still, still some more gods trying to do, you see? Salvation continues. There's a lot to put here. Um, Peter told them, of course, they needed to repent. That's the new birth. They needed to be baptized. This is Acts Acts 2.38 and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's, this, that's that second revelation of the, of the four-square logo where Jesus is my baptizer with the Holy Ghost. There's a reason for those experiences because God has more for us than just washing us up and sending us on our way to help others get washed up. He wants to change us. How about this verse let 's read this together, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Maybe a better I like this term instead of new creature let 's put new species, just like that little town, my, I was imaginary town I was mentioning my wife and I were in with all, no only people only had uh, uh, right hand, right arms, not their left arm. When this new person came in, he actually had something different. God has put something different inside of us. We're a new species. God has put a new life in us. That's the new birth. And here it talks about that change. Salvation not only provides, not only raises us up from the lowest hell and washes away sin, but it also provides us with an eternal, an internal supernatural power by the Spirit to metamorph or transform us into a new species. Let me read this verse for you. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Just as from the Lord, whoops, just as from the Lord, the Spirit, by the Spirit of God, how much does He want to transform us? And how far does, how much does He want to change us? Does He just want us washed up so we can go on and do our own thing? No. He wants to transform us into what? What does it say there? The same image. Pastor uh, Dennis here was sharing on, uh, from 2 Peter how he's called us, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is 2 Peter chapter 1. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, that we might be partakers of the divine nature. He wants to change us and transform us. Didn't he create Adam and Eve in his own image and likeness? See, when Adam and Eve fell, it wasn't just that they fell down and disobeyed God. Their whole image the image and likeness that was in them was distorted, was twisted, was just messed up. And that's the way we're born into this world. I mean, isn't it evident, any of you that have ever had children, do you have to teach those little kids how to do wrong things? Now, there's some parents who will say, Now, my boy didn't learn that at home. He learned it from the neighbors over there. You see, I, wasn't, you know, I didn't teach him. No, it's from inside. That nature of sin, that stuff inside. And God is still dealing with us. And this plan of salvation. So when we say Jesus is our Savior, we're talking about more than just having our sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. We're talking about all that we mentioned that salvation does. It preserves, restores, it brings us safely along on that journey, and it uh, makes us perfectly whole. That's the end of our salvation. And let me just go on real quick. As we call it, the upward call, this upward call back into God's purpose. Paul says, I press on. Let me see here, I lost my place. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3.14. And if we compare Revelations 21 and 22 with Genesis 1 and 2, remember I mentioned that we, we, we don't want to, when we understand salvation, we have to understand really where we fell from. We didn't just make a little boo-boo in the garden by eating the wrong fruit and you know, fell down and scuffed our knees. This is falling out of God's eternal purpose. And we see it in Genesis 1, and you compare that to Revelation 22, 21 and 22, you'll see something interesting. In Genesis, you see a tree of life. You see a river. You see gold. Read it. You'll see there's gold and there's precious stones. There's fellowship with God. Wasn't that right? They walked in the garden. They walked. You know, it wasn't just like we sing that song, I come to the garden, and walking with him and talk with him. We sing about that, but Adam and Eve literally experienced that kind of fellowship right there in that garden. There was a man and a woman in that garden. There was a marriage in that garden. Well, God's eternal purpose, same thing we see in the book of Revelation. Is there a tree of life in Revelation 21 and 22? Yeah, sure is. Is there a river of life there? Oh yeah, there's a river there too, isn't there? Gold and gems, yeah. Pearls, precious stones, it's all there. Is there a fellowship with God? Oh, yeah. How about this? Is there a man and woman there? Who's I'm sorry, was it? There you go. You have, yes, a man, Jesus, and his bride, the church. There's a marriage, isn't there? The New Jerusalem talks all about it there. You missed that? There's a bride. The Best I could do for the bride of Christ and Jesus. There we go. I'll let you guys read that. God, what? Let me say amen to that. So, what do you think? Is it a great salvation? Is it a great Savior? Think about what he wants to do. And don't forget to look into that mirror every once in a while and realize how far we've fallen, but how wonderfully he's going to change us and make us ready for that day. Father, we just thank you tonight. We thank you, Father, for the word that is a mirror for us to look into. And we just don't sometimes take the time to, sometimes it's just absolutely frightening to look too much into that word because we really begin to see who we are. But if we can see where we are, we can better understand where we're going. And more importantly, we can know who's going to take us there. Jesus, you are a wonderful Savior. You came, you gave your life on the cross. You died in our place. You rose from the dead. And we pray, Lord, that you would just help us to know you more and, and you'd open up our, the eyes of our understanding to see more clearly who you really are and who you are to us. Not only for our own selves, not only for our journey, but Lord, there's so many others that haven't even begun on that journey. They don't even know there is a journey to be on. They don't even know that they're lost. Help us, Lord, as we see and understand better what you've done for us. Help us to help those around us. Help us to be evangelists, those that are bearers of good news. You said, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news And Lord, help us to be those that can share this good news of Jesus, our Savior, to those around us, Lord. We thank you for it tonight. Bless the people. Thank you for bringing them out tonight. Thank you for all you've done in all the classes here. In Jesus' name.
0: Thank you for your interest in the Dover Four Square Church. My prayer wish is that you have felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is our desire that our preaching and leading the congregation will always be word-centered and applicable to life. It is our desire that our worship be the pathway unto further transformation into the likeness of Jesus. With everything we do, our prayer is that we will rest in God's love and Christ's mighty work on the cross. We are blessed with a loving pastoral staff. Chris and Anna Ewing are pastors of our youth ministries. David and Marietta Slentz are pastors of our children's ministries. Our staff is eager to relate truth to life. All of the ministries interrelate, and we desire to give place to the flow of God's grace at all times. Our church address is 302 East Slingluff Avenue, Dover, Ohio. And our church phone number is 330-343-6142. Our website address is www.doverfoursquare.org.